Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Welcome to episode 24, and thank you for coming along on this wild voyage. This time we're going to talk about the 10 top myths of van life or something like that. And we'll uh, do a little tech talk about uh, MPPT versus PWM. That's a common one. And I have a tale from a road about a storm and a product review of a test tube plant holder. You'll see. I'll explain it. Thank you, everyone. I really appreciate you listening, and thanks for being here once again. Got some more kind notes from people uh, last week, and, and I really do appreciate it. Anytime you want to contact me and just say, hey, your show sucks, or whatever... I appreciate it. So you can find me at builttogo.com. It's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Or I'm College of Curiosity on Instagram, but I'm going to admit it, I don't quite understand how to use Instagram effectively. And that pegs me as like an old guy. And, you know, hey, I am. Sorry, that's where I'm coming from. But that gives me a perspective that is sometimes useful. And I'm going to share that with you guys. And if you have a different perspective, I'm going to try to learn from you as well. We'll talk more about perspective later in the show. But right now, let's talk about top 10 van life myths. You ever wonder, like, you hear these top 10 lists, like, why are they the top? I mean, who ranks these things? Who's like saying, well, you know, that one's number 11. We're not going to put that on the list. Or this one moved up from number three to number one this week. Whatever. This is a list of 10 things that I think there are misconceptions about that I'm going to read in like no order that makes any sense. It's just kind of how it is. So let's dive into it. Number one, van life is a brand new phenomenon. No, no, van life is not new. Van life is so not new that you could argue it predates house life. People have lived in vehicles since there were vehicles. That's just the way it is. The fact that we see this resurgence of van life is due to a whole lot of socio-political economic factors that have pushed people into vans or made vans attractive or whatever. Honestly, I think the internet is largely responsible for the new van life upsurge as people can live their lives in a van and stay connected via the internet. The internet? Wow, my Massachusetts accent came back there. Internet. Wow. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's not new. Um, people have lived, if you think about the Oregon Trail, people were living in Conestoga wagons. Was that van life? Yeah, close enough. I mean, you're living in a vehicle. That's what it's all about. So no, van life isn't new. We're, we're in a resurgence of it that may grow, it may fade, who knows, but it's certainly nothing new. Myth number two, van life is very inexpensive. Mm, eh, well... No. Yes, no, maybe. I mean, look, a lot of folks think that if they get in their van, they're going to give up their mortgage and they're going to give up paying insurance and their electric bill and their water bill and their plumbing and all this stuff. And holy cow, it's going to be cheap living in a van. Well, there's, there's a lot of expenses involved in living in a van too. Uh, you still need some things. Your food budget is probably going to go up in a van because you can't store bulk food. You are going to be paying for gas, just like you always did. You're going to be paying for insurance. Your repair expenses and your vehicle expenses are going to go up because you're going to be using your vehicle a whole lot more. 
I'll bet you eat out more than you did before just because you're going to be in the van and it's going to be 7 o'clock at night and you're tired and you just don't want to deal with cooking and everything. So, yeah, you've you got to do the math on the expenses. Another unexpected expense that people find in vans is the Internet. You know, if you live in a house, you can get broadband cable Internet for 50 75 100 bucks a month, depends on where you live. But in a van... You're dealing with cellular or Wi-Fi or whatever, and that can end up costing a lot of money. Some folks spend as much as 300 bucks a month for internet in their vans because they have to be connected all the time. So van life can be inexpensive, but it can also be very expensive. So you have to do the math. Van life myth number three. You can park somewhere beautiful every night. Eh, well, you maybe, but I doubt it. Um, the truth is that what you see on Instagram of all these vans parked in these beautiful places, that can happen, but it's not as though they're everywhere and they're often sought after. A lot of these beautiful spaces, someone has to pull in there at 8 o'clock in the morning and then like sit on the spot to keep it all night. Or what you don't see in the picture is that you're one of 30 vans on the same spot about 3 feet from each other. Or this picture was taken just before the cops rolled up to say, hey, there's no parking here. You can park in some amazing places. There's no question. But it does require work and planning. And I hear a lot of people that go, I'm going to go to L.A. and sleep on the beach in my van every night. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to try, and then you're going to have all kinds of hassles because the people there really don't want you doing that. So... Don't take it for granted. You can have it, but it's a bit of work. Number four, van life. It's smelly and dirty and your van stinks all the time and you're living like a hippie bum. What a, yeah, whatever. Look, folks, you can stay clean in a van. You, you may not have the 20-minute long shower every morning like you used to do at home, but th- you can stay clean. There are different ways to clean yourself than just having a shower all day long. It is actually amazing how much you can clean yourself with baby wipes. And if that sounds silly, try it. It actually is can be acceptable. What I typically do is I try to shower, well, I try to shower as often as I can, but sometimes that's a week between. Uh, On the days when I don't shower, I wash up extensively, either with baby wipes or a washcloth and hot soapy water. I can wash my hair anytime I want because of the way my shower's rigged up. So, you know, and you keep your van clean. I certainly keep the inside of my van cleaner than I do my house because I kind of have to. I, it's it, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with clutter in a van, so you have to stay on top of it. So, no, it's not a smelly, dirty life unless you're a smelly, dirty person. And if you want to be that, that's fine because you're in your own van and you're not bothering me. Myth number five. Van life is only for vegans and hipsters. No. There's a lot of people doing van life, and you might see certain stereotypes of van lifers on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever, but honestly, every walk of life is out there doing van life. You've got mobile professionals, you've got anarchists who want to live off the grid, you've got old retired people, you've got people who have no choice but to live in vans. There's all these different groups of people, and the only thing they have in common is that they live in their vehicle. So stereotypes are stereotypes, they're not always true, and I am not a vegan, nor am I a hipster. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Van life myth number six. It's not safe out there. Someone's going to break in your van and kill you twice. Look, it's not safe anywhere. 
Something bad can happen to you anywhere, and I would argue you're actually safer in a van with someone trying to get in than you are in a house with someone trying to get in, for a couple of reasons. First off, if you're in your van and someone's trying to get in, you're going to know about it, even if you don't have a dog. It's such a small, loud environment that you're going to hear that. In a house, you know, someone could sneak in a basement window and then tiptoe upstairs and then tickle your feet in the middle of the night. You know. The safety thing is all about awareness and taking precautions and not being stupid. I'm not telling you you need to have a weapon with you. I'm just saying you have to be aware of your surroundings. And remember the big advantage you have in a van. You can drive away. It's hard to do that in a house. Van life myth number seven. Oh, that van life looks like fun, but it's really only for young people. Ah, tell you what, folks. All you have to do is poke around on YouTube and you will see that there's a lot of older folks out there on the road, a lot of them, and they might not be as active on Instagram or whatever, but they're out there. Van life is for anybody who wants to do it. Simple as that. Age is not a factor. Van life myth number eight. You'll be able to live in your van just like you live in your house. No. Yes, but no. My take on van life is that it is camping. I think RVs, you could argue, are mobile homes. They're houses that move, and vans are more like camping. You can make them very comfortable. You can watch TV. You can play games on the internet. You can do all that kind of stuff. But you're never going to be quite as in control of your environment in a van as you are at home. The temperature is going to fluctuate more. You're going to be more aware of how much things cost. You're going to be definitely more aware of water usage and electrical and stuff like that. So there is an adjustment to be made there. If you come at it as though you're camping, you're going to have a very good mindset for van life. Van life myth number nine. Vans are just too hard to drive. Ah, uh, no, vans are actually really not that hard to drive. Now, I learned how to drive, drive a truck as a, as a teenager, so it's never been a big deal to me. But there's one single thing that you need to do to be a successful van driver, and that is learn how to use your side mirrors. No, I mean really. Once you learn how to use your side mirrors, how to check them for passing, how to use them for backing up, Driving a van is just like driving a car. There's very, very little difference. And now you've got backup cameras too, which can only help. So I'm sorry, if you can drive a car, you can drive a van. You just have to get used to it. That's no excuse. And coming in at number 10, you're cramped all the time. Well, there's an expression in van life, and that is, I don't live in a van I live out of a van. Ironically, this is true for cruise ships, too. You might think that vans and cruise ships don't have that much in common, but this one thing they do. People who have never tried it think you're cramped and cooped up all the time. That is absolutely not true, because you're not spending all your time in the van, and you're not spending all your time in your cabin, either. You live in the world. You live wherever you want. You just happen to have your bedroom with you. And that is one of the hugest, biggest, gigantic, normuses, best things about van life and cruising, to be honest. So, um, yeah, so there's, that's my list of 10 myths of van life. You can call it the top if you want. You can call it the bottom. Whatever, whichever way you roll is fine with me. And, hey, maybe I'll do another um, one. But, you know, agree, disagree, you can always let me know. 
Okay, a little bit of tech talk. Just very quick on controllers. I've been talking to a lot of people about solar lately, and there's a little confusion. There are two basic kinds of solar controllers. First, there is the pulse width modulation controller. These tend to be much less expensive and, and much smaller. I mean, they're little tiny things. And then there is the maximum power point tracking controller. Well, you can tell by the names which one's better. I mean, the MPPT controllers are better, but they're also much bigger and they are much more expensive. But here's the basic difference between the two. If you're going to have a modest solar system, say 100 watts or less, and you don't really care all that much about getting the maximum out of it, you can spend 20 bucks on a PWM controller and be just fine. Very simple to hook up. You'll go right from the solar panel into the controller and then into the battery. No muss, no fuss, and it will work just fine. But if you're somebody who's looking to maximize the output, maybe you have a lot of batteries or maybe you have a lot of solar panels or maybe you just like being cool, you will get the MPPT controller, which does some kind of cool things. First off, it, it's a lot bigger capacity. You can hook up a lot more to it. But one of the things it does is it lets you hook up your panels in series, increasing the voltage and lowering the amperage. Now, let me explain what that means so we'll be clear here. We're not increasing that stuff inside the van. We're increasing it before it gets to the controller because the controller does this magic thing where it takes voltage and converts it to amps. And at the later parts of the day, or when it's, you know, in the winter and the sun's lower, you can generate more voltage than amperage, and this thing magically will turn that into amperage, thus giving you more power under low light conditions. So that's one of the magic things about an MPPT controller. Also, they just tend to be fancier. They may have a temperature sensor, they may have an app you can look at and control your power on your phone, all that kind of thing. But the price difference can be pretty big. I've seen uh, PWM controllers for as low as $10. I would avoid those and hit, you know, pay $20. I mean, this isn't something you want to skimp out on too much. And I've seen MPPT controllers um, for under 100 and also several hundred. I have a Renogy, I think it's a 20 amp MPPT controller. I've only got two panels, so 20 amps about right. In general, you want to have the amperage match the wattage you have divided by 10. So I have 200 watts, I have a 20 amp controller, that's, that's a pretty good measurement. Anyway, that's the difference between the two. If you hear them talked about, one is fancier and does more things, the other is just fine, especially if you're in a smaller situation. Tales from the road. Just a brief tale here that um, it, it stuck with me because of, of what happened on it. So. I've mentioned before I work in disaster response and I volunteer in disaster response. The line between work and volunteering is blurred sometimes, but I used to at least get frequently called out to say, hey, we just had a tornado. Can you come down and help out? Last year that happened and it was down in the Ozarks. And I'm not going to tell you specifically where because we're very conscious about our work not being seen as tourism. We're not coming to your town to take pictures and gawk at all the damage. That isn't what we want to do. So I'm even a little hesitant to tell this story, but there was a good lesson here, and uh, I think there's something to learn from it. So I live in Chicago. The Ozarks are a bit of a drive. They're several hours away, and I decided I was going to head down immediately and spend the night at a Walmart or wherever, and then head to the area of operation in the morning. And I looked at the map and found a Walmart. It was a funky little Walmart that was in a strip mall. Uh, the Walmart wasn't a separate building, and uh, I was able to park 
right up against the Walmart, kind of next to the next business over. So you couldn't tell which business I was with. So the Walmart people might think I was with the other store. And, you know, anyway, I was stealthing. But as I've said a hundred times, stealthing is largely, it doesn't matter. People don't care. That's the secret of stealthing. Anyway, if someone's being nice enough to offer me a place to stay, as I assumed this Walmart was doing, I like to shop there. So I went into the Walmart and bought something. I don't remember what. And on the way out, I happened to talk to the clerk and I said, Hey, I heard you guys had a pretty big storm here. And what he said was interesting. It was, um, yeah, yeah, we had a, we had a storm, but you know, really didn't impact our area much. It was, uh, but up, up North of here. Yeah. They got it really, really bad. Uh, but you know, here wasn't really anything. And I was like, okay, good. Good for you. I'm glad the storm didn't bother you. You know, have a nice night. Took my bag, went out to the van. Spent the night, everything was fine. Woke up in the morning and saw a couple of big RVs parked in the parking lot, which I take as a great sign because I know anytime I see RVs, they're the ones who are going to get kicked out first. So I knew I was fine. I made some breakfast and, you know, did my thing and then headed out down the road and holy cow, I wouldn't say it was utter devastation, but this town got whacked. There were trees down, there were trees on garages, there were trees on cars, there were streets blocked off. This town had had a major tornadic event, and this guy said they didn't get hit very bad. And at first I thought, well, just because he works at Walmart doesn't mean he lives here. I mean, maybe he didn't drive this way, and maybe it's fine the other way. And I thought about that. I was like, boy, that's really weird. I'm like two blocks from the Walmart and there's all this devastation and the Walmart guy didn't even know about it. Eh, whatever. So I'm, I'm driving to the op, to the uh, area of operation. And when I get there, I see literal total devastation. I mean, we're at the level of cars and trees, barns a mile from where they used to be, you know, that kind of thing. The type of thing we're used to seeing with tornadoes because they're, they're bad things. And I realized that this guy in Walmart knew that that devastation was there. He was just comparing it to how bad it was where I was then. He was using perspective and saying, eh, this isn't so bad. Look how bad they've got it. And that always stuck with me because we have this tendency to look right around us and say, oh, woe is me. Things are so terrible. I mean, with this COVID thing, I mean, look at my situation, right? I, I stay in home. I, I'm stuck in the house. I can't drive my van anywhere. All my trips have been canceled. Um, I can't do any of the stuff I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. Woe is me. But you know what I can do? I can breathe. I can work. I can make podcasts. Honestly, when you put things in perspective, I've got it really, really good. And I just thought, hey, that little that guy in Walmart, he had it right. That's the way to be. Okay, product review. A very strange little thing that just, I don't know why I bought this. I wasn't looking for it. It's a test tube plant holder. I had always wanted some sort of a plant holder in my van. I mean, I didn't want a plant. I didn't think I'd, I'd have the wherewithal to keep the plant alive. But I thought it'd be fun to like kind of pick a flower where I was every day and put it in there. And I know that Volkswagen Bugs used to have like a vase on the dashboard that you could put flowers in. And I thought, hmm, wouldn't that be fun in the van? And I looked and I looked and I never really found the right thing. I mean, it, it's glass. So, you know, I wanted to be protected. And then for whatever reason on Amazon the other day, I found the right thing. It is called an Ivolador Crystal Glass Test Tube Plant Terrarium Vase Flower Pots for Hydroponic Plants Home Garden Decoration. You know how they name things on there, so every search will get it. It's a test tube 
that fits into a sort of a a rhomboidal shaped bamboo holder and it's it's perfect perfect for vans and this is why the bamboo base you can screw in anywhere you can screw it into a wall you can screw it into a counter you can velcro it somewhere and then the test tube fits securely inside it and then you can put in a plant or whatever I haven't installed it in my van yet I'm looking forward to doing it but this thing is 12 bucks and it comes with two of them and I think it is the perfect solution for exactly what I was looking for and you might want to check it out too uh, it, uh, you can search for it under iVolador, that's I-V-O-L-A-D-O-R, or I'll have a link in the show notes. But uh, I, I love this thing, and for the price, it's definitely worth it. And heck, little tiny things like this make van life all the more fun. Okay, let's talk about a place to visit. This place is, is fascinating to me. The place I'm talking about is a section of U.S. Route 10 that connects Manitowoc, Wisconsin to Ludington, Michigan. Now, if you're at all familiar with Midwestern geography, you may realize that I've just created a problem. Because between Manitowoc, Wisconsin and Ludington, Michigan is Lake Michigan. It's not a place where you can drive a vehicle. And it's because of that, that this thing exists. And this thing is the SS Badger. It is an old coal-fired steamship that used to be a rail ferry, but is now a car ferry. And you can, you can, well, you can't drive your car onto it or your van. You can drive your van to it and someone will carefully drive the van on board for you because they stack them in there as tightly as possible. But the SS Badger is just... Folks, if you can take advantage of this, do it quickly because this thing is not going to last forever. It is the only coal-fired ship still sailing in U.S. waters, and it is a little bit of a treasure. Now, I'm not a big fan of burning coal. I understand all the problems, and the folks at the SS Badger have done everything they can to mitigate those things. They no longer dump the ashes into the lake, which was once common. They have a highly efficient engine that's computer-controlled that is getting the most power out of that coal for the least amount of pollution. Yes, I'm. it's still coal. I get it. It would be better if it was something else, but all that aside, the voyage is amazing. It's about five hours, and on the ship, they have several different areas. One is a movie theater, so you can watch a movie. Another is a museum, so you can learn the history of this amazing thing. And there's a big dining hall area, and they have a bingo game that's kind of the traditional thing to do on the Badger, where everybody plays bingo and wins kind of silly prizes like uh, playing cards and uh, clacky balls and things like that. There's limited deck space, but you can go outside and see Lake Michigan. And it, the whole thing is kind of fascinating. I took it from Manitowoc to Ludington. It, it obviously, it goes both ways. And when the ship finally arrived in Ludington, it has to make a tight turn. And, and controlling a steamship is not like controlling a modern ship. You don't have a throttle. You can't just power the engines back. All you have is an engine producing power and gearing. So it's tricky to slow down. So what they do is they drop anchor and then spin the ship around the anchor at speed 
and then launch it into port. I, <laughs> it was an amazing bit of seamanship, and uh, I don't know. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm a ship guy. I love ships. I love vans, and the idea of taking your van on a ship I think is great. So that is the SS Badger. It's at ssbadger.com. Yes, their schedule's affected by COVID times. Yes, I don't think they're going to last all that much longer because it's extremely difficult for them to run a coal-fired ship. It's not inexpensive. You can expect to spend uh, 79 bucks or so for this journey. But it is an old piece of America and a fascinating way to travel that I highly recommend you take advantage of. Very quick resource recommendation. This is just a book. And I think it is probably the original Van Life book. And it is called Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck. John Steinbeck got an old box, what we would call a box truck. Basically, back then it was just a truck. Fitted it out like a camper and hit the road in search of America, which is something we're all trying to do to some extent if you're in the U.S. doesn't matter if you're in the U.S., While his trip is specifically about finding America in 1960, that doesn't exist anymore for any of us. So this is not a guide to where to visit. This is a guide for how to travel. Charlie, who spells his last name with a Y, if he could spell, is a poodle. And a full standard poodle. And John and Charlie travel around the country and have all sorts of adventures and make observations the way only Steinbeck can. It's super easy reading. It's available as an audiobook read by Gary Sinise. I'll have a link in the show notes. But um, absolutely, if you're interested in van life and you want to just see the perspective of a traveler who's out there to look to explore and experience things, Travels with Charlie is an absolutely great introduction to that. A question came up, how do you do your laundry when you're on the road? And, well, some people don't. Uh, You know, standards change. While you might wear a shirt once or twice while you're at home, when you're in a van, you're basically going to wear your clothes until you can't anymore. And maybe you spilled ketchup on them, or maybe they're too sweat-stained, or maybe they're jeans and they have never been washed and never will be. Whatever, doesn't matter. At some point, you're probably going to have to do laundry for whatever reason. There are all kinds of little tiny laundry solutions you can get. I mean, you can get 12-volt washing machines. They exist. Some people use salad spinners. You throw your clothes in the salad spinner and add some soap, and then you kind of spin it, and then you replace the water with rinse water, and then you spin again, and then you dump out all the water, and you spin your underwear until they're dry. That's a thing you can do. They also sell these bags that are... um, They're basically just bags that can hold water, and you put your clothes in there in the bag, and then you roll the bag up and stuff. All that stuff exists. It can all be done. Another thing you can do is get a collapsible bucket. And the nice thing about the collapsible buckets, other than that they collapse, is that they have ridged sides, and you can use those sides as kind of like a washboard. So those are all ways you can wash your clothes. But honestly, what most of the van life people do, especially the full-timers, is very simple. Here's the secret. Are you ready? They go to the laundromat. Now, hold up. You might think that's cheating. There are times when you can't go to a laundromat. If you're boondocking, like super far out boondocking, okay, it might be hard to go to the laundromat. But it's not going to be that hard because you have to go and get water somewhere. Basically, save up your clothes and go to the laundromat. It's quick and easy, and it has a few advantages to the other systems. For one... 
for one, you don't have any upfront costs. Now, obviously, over the long run, it's going to be more expensive than buying a $100 washing machine, but it's also going to be a lot more clean. The other thing is, is that it takes up no space. Using a laundromat takes up no space. And how much is the space in your van worth? It's worth a lot. I mean, how much would you pay to have another cubic foot of storage space in your van? I know for me, I'd probably pay a few hundred bucks for that. So... That's basically the secret of laundry. You don't do it all that often, and when you do, you do it all at once at the laundromat where you can throw your sleeping bag in there, your sheets, your pillows, all at once, get it all done in an hour, and hit the road. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode 24. Music, as always, is by Sir Mouge, a.k.a. Simon Wagg. And in the future, we're going to do a kind of an one-off episode that is going to be just Simon talking about his music. It's not going to interrupt the podcast. It'll be a separate thing. But if you're interested in the music and you kind of like it, I have to say it's really grown on me. We'll have that for you. You can listen to the songs in their entirety. Thank you again for listening. You can reach me at builttogo.com and have yourself a safe and lovely week.